Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about strategies for success in social selling through LinkedIn. Today, we have our guest, Nicholas Pickett, joining us. Nick is the managing partner at Aligned and the co-host at his podcast, The B2B Power Hour, a space to connect with others in B2B marketing and sales, where they share their experiments with over 160 episodes so far uh, through their podcast. They have takeaways and articles that they help sales and marketing professionals thrive in a world dominated by outdated playbooks and old school tactics. So welcome, Nick. Super excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I can't wait to go and dive in. Uh, yeah, so let's maybe let's start with the basics because I know we're talking about social selling through LinkedIn. I think this is an important talk- topic. A lot of our followers who are listening, a lot of founders, a lot of marketers, folks who are trying to grow their SaaS are always thinking, okay, well, I've got to be on LinkedIn. There, there's no other way. I mean... My audience is here. This is a B2B world. Um, this, I've, I've got to be here. I just don't know where to start, how to begin. How do I do this effectively and, and, and the best use of my time? But before we get into that, let's start with the basics. What is the definition of social selling? And how does it separate from, you know, people think of just social media marketing? So I love this question. And the one reason why is everybody that's been in in-person networking, the person that stands up on the stage when you're at a networking event, do you call them a networker? No, they're a public uh, speaker. Right. Right. The person that runs around handing out business cards trying to sell stuff, do you call them a networker? Uh, no, no, no. Not usually, right? No. So it's really interesting that everybody goes and has their version of social selling, but none of it's social selling. Social selling is engagement in public earns conversations in private. Mm. So the person that's networking, that's figuring out who the nodes in the system, building trust and credibility with those people, building connections. They're networkers first, and everything else is second. But really what it's about is trust and credibility. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time in history that we've, as sellers, have been allowed to do this. Because typically, we've had to rely on a marketing team and hope that they go and do it for us or do it properly. But this now when we call, when we email, when we you know approach on social media, we are no longer the faceless seller. And even if we work for an incredibly big brand, that might get part of the door open. But especially in B2B, if you go and talk to any buyer, what, they, what they're networking for is expertise. That's mm. what they're buying. They expect the service free, but they're paying for the consulting. And that is why a lot of SDR teams are just failing miserably right now because they don't have the expertise. And I know one of your questions later on, I'm sure you can ask me is how to build lists. And I'll even I'll even tip the hat on this one. Most sales is just spam. Mm. Because if your doctor took the same approach as most sales companies took, they would go to jail. Mm-hmm. It'd be a malpractice. Mm. Because just because I could sell you an artificial heart, because you have the money and you need one, doesn't mean that I should. Mm. Interesting. So this is a problem I have. I mean, this is something I'm I'm dealing with. This is a immediate problem, and I know this. And I, I show up at your door. I send you an email. I was like, "Hey, I know you have this problem. Let me let me sell you this. You know, I'm a doctor. Let me see. Let me help you today. And um, this is what's going to cost right now." You don't hey, I was just fair. you have you have you have that smartwatch that we went and put on you about two years ago, right? Yeah. 
well, I just got feedback that uh, there's some issues with the it's it's the signals from your heart, mm-hmm. and what it shows me is it's slowly decaying. I'd like to run further tests, but just to let you know, it's usually a sign that your heart's dying. Mm-hmm. It could be a false positive. I don't, but I'd rather just tell you up front. So could I book a meeting with you to go and run some further tests just to rule everything out? And if, you know, if it is that, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. I, I have a few ideas, but I'm crossing my fingers that it's nothing. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Yeah, I guess that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, so, so when we're talking about social media marketing, let's maybe share an example of like, okay, that, that is a beautiful way of how you approach somebody that is the right way of not going to jail, I guess, and, and, you know, helping somebody and, and being a, you know, giving a proper experience of a, of an interaction, um, in service. And then on social media marketing, what is, what does that look like? So one of the cool things that we can do now is instead of sending non-opt-in email sequences, which are mostly just spam, especially if it's all about your product, what if we stop putting it on an email when people haven't opted in for it and we put it on as social content instead? Mm. And so the people that opt in will naturally see it more on their feed. And if they're engaging with you, if you're commenting or if you're any conversations in the DMs, every platform will prioritize your content in their feed. Top of feed, top of mind. And if it's, you know, if anybody's read the Challenger customer, and you're talking about commercial insights and those, it's those things that once you know, you cannot get rid of. That is the beauty of social media. The one problem that happens a lot, though, is a lot of people are preaching about stuff they don't actually know. Mm. If you look at a lot of the people that are doing extremely well, they shifted gears instead of preaching on the, you know, the podium telling everybody how bad they're doing or what they should be doing. They're sharing personal stories of saying, Hey, so I tried this. I would highly recommend not. And this is why this is what you should do instead. Mm. And so if you switch that email nurture into a true nurture on social media, birds of a feather flock together. And so that, you know, if people in those same roles, if they like it, it constantly gets shared. And now it's spreading like wildfire everywhere. And you're not limited to that one email. Mm. And so you don't have to worry about burning domains. You don't have to worry about getting blacklisted. And the other beauty is, is what happened in down markets is we shift shift from FOMO to FUMU. So the fear of messing missing out, the fear of messing up. Mm-hmm. So typically, you know, 10 years ago, we'd call a VP of sales or a VP and either we talk to them, their assistant. They don't want to make decisions right now because they'll get blamed if it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So what do they do instead in down markets when, you know, capital is expensive and it's hard to find people is they go to their, their people below them and they ask for their opinion because if it goes wrong, they can blame, they can blame them, right? Mm-hmm. And so what has happened too with everybody moving to remote is think of like when we were younger and we'd go working in the bullpen, we'd go after work and have a beer with our coworkers. Mm-hmm. There's always the two different people. There's the ones that are complaining because they don't want to take accountability. So they're just whining the whole time. And you know what? Sometimes you got to let off some steam. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But there's the others that are sharing what's going on, not because they want, you know, sympathy. It's because they're students of their craft. They love what they do. They want to get better, but they don't understand what's going wrong. Mm. Well, those people can't talk to their coworkers because everything is like a a surveillance state in a lot of these big companies. They won't, they have AI or machine learning algorithms that try to stop certain information from getting out. If they catch different keywords, 
So what a lot of people are doing now is they're going to social media as their source of education. And right. it's the first time we've been able to really network with our peers. So they can ask very direct questions mm-hmm. and somebody with that experience and that will respond. And That's but true. what a, and when we talk about most people about marketing and using social, what do they do? They try to reach out one by one instead of trying to search for the conversations that are already happening. Engagement in public to earn those conversations in private. Right. So engage in, engage in public to earn those, private, those, those conversations in private. I love that, that statement. Now, so you're talking about, you know, the state of the market we're in, you know, here in June 2023, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of conflicting signals in the markets. Many companies are now, you know, slashing jobs. Companies have been, are becoming more efficient with their resources. SDRs are struggling to close deals with a lot of, you know, companies who have maybe put off, uh, clo- you know, signing off contracts or making decisions and budgets have been slashed. Um, so speaking to these folks listening today, how do you suggest the sales teams to stand out now, be, you know, and be able to close more deals, um, through maybe social selling that they haven't been doing, or maybe there's something new they've got to think about or be more creative to stand out? First thing everyone should do is just comment. Mm. It's just conversations. Join the conversations that are already happening. How it started for me is I just set a 30-minute timer. And every morning, I would just go comment. Uh, Sales Navigator, if you build lead lists, Mm. once you have people in those lists, it'll auto-populate their posts. So if you go to your homepage, below where all the posts start to fill up, there's lead filters. You hit that Mm -hmm. and you you can even go deeper and go to lead shares. And you'll see all their posts. So you can actually curate what you're seeing and only engage on those people. Keep in mind, you're going to probably want to go director or lower because the people VP or higher don't believe in sharing. Mm-hmm. And so it's usually promotional garbage. So it just, mm-hmm. that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing I would do is do a win loss analysis. Just look at the last year. If your company has 50 different product SKUs or more, the reality is you're only selling two or three to start. Figure out what those two to three are and figure out what is the root problem that they solve, why they exist. Figure out the signs and symptoms of those root problems and go find them. Mm. And so this is a great way to, it's called social listening. So if I know that, uh, why do companies go and buy sales intelligence software? Well, it's probably because their pipeline's weak right now. Mm-hmm. And so if their pipeline's weak, they might be hiring SDRs because they want to go and you know, put more in like the pre-pipeline. They might even be doing more like performance marketers or demand marketers. So I'll see signs. So what is the best tool? What is the best place to find those? And if I was sitting across the table to you as your best friend, just having this conversation, what words would I use to go and describe that pain? Mm-hmm. And if you keep tinkering with that over time, you can find that on YouTube really easy. You can find that on LinkedIn really easy, Twitter, and just join those conversations and you will become known for it. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is just automate your list building. So take these search filters that you're finding and whether it's saved searches with LinkedIn, um, you know, using Zoom Info or Cognizant scoops with Zoom Info, set stuff up where it's, it's actually prioritizing your list for you. So if you're building a sandbox that you play in, this is where we play. The prioritization is going a step further is this is when we win. So what are those things that would go and prioritize you to talk now versus 
six months from now or even a month ago. And just remember that pain has an expiry date. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Timing is super important. And do, do you consider LinkedIn kind of the main uh, platform? I know people listening in probably are, are probably on LinkedIn. That's what they're considering. But I also know, you know, you know, people are checking, you know, Instagram these days. And it seems to be that, you know, people want to know a little bit more about the personal side beyond just, you know, your LinkedIn, your professional world. Um, but what have you seen in terms of like, you know, do you see there's a disadvantage or advantage over other media platforms such as Instagram for B2B sales? This is such a hard one to answer because it it really is all over the map. The one thing I have seen that's super interesting going through, I just wrapped up a case study with about 100 companies over the last two years, uh, pulling apart their CRM data and looking at the top 2% of sellers versus the bottom 50%. And one of the most interesting things that also came out of that is they a lot of them also posted on YouTube, mm. which I didn't expect. Yeah. And I asked them why. And they're like, well, I noticed that my messaging when I was, it was more learning and development based to help people in the trenches get a promotion, you know, get out of the chaos and actually better themselves. But it was too time consuming to do one on one. And LinkedIn, people were going there to network and kind of, or, or sell, right? He's like, but you, when people go onto YouTube, they're specifically going to learn. Right. Makes sense. And so they started packaging those one-on-one conversations that were going really well and turning mm-hmm. them into YouTube videos. And then when somebody was reaching out to them, instead of them sending a Vidyard or a Loom, they sent them that YouTube link, which if you whether you're on if you're on LinkedIn, you can also use the link shorteners or you can use your your CRM, right? Mm-hmm. And then they could see all the different people watching. But the thing that they got too is like everything else, it would also go and show them where they stopped listening. Or they had different calls to actions that were in those videos. And they said it just gave them way more control that they never had because they were saying it was the most control they've had since we were doing face-to-face meetings. Interesting. Yeah, when you don't have the face-to-face, you have these other signals that tell you, okay, where are people dropping off? Where are they losing attention? Where are they taking action? Where are they asking questions? What are they commenting, right? Yeah. And I think if you want to go and do social media for just being yourself and... You know, it's important to know who you are outside of work. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine. You also meet people with shared interests, and that's always a win. But you have to do it for that only that reason. Yeah. If you're using the other platforms, because it's not high leverage time, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're on LinkedIn or YouTube or some other platform that you know, like even Discord servers, some people like if you're selling to IT or different development roles, mm-hmm. that's the place to be, not LinkedIn. So you got to do your research and look at where people are learning and also just where there's where do they spend their time? Where are they going to ask questions? Where are they networking with their peers? Yeah. And sometimes you just got to ask them cuz different niches it's just not something you would expect, right? Like some doctors have special social media just for them. Right. I didn't know that. I believe that. I mean, we don't see too many doctors on on my LinkedIn feed anyways, right? So that would that would make yeah. sense. Yeah. So, so talking about the list, um, so this is obviously probably half the battles, like creating an effective quality prospect research list, let's say for LinkedIn here. So do, can you provide any tips or strategies on, you know, you mentioned a few, um, you know, filtered, but if this is a new list, you, you're, you're, you're kind of starting from scratch. Where do I, where do I begin? First, you want to set up a master list. Mm-hmm. So take, if your company gives you a list, go to your CRM, do an export, and you can export to, uh, I think it's an XLS file. But you can, if you go to LinkedIn and you look, it'll tell you what file formats will work. 
and upload that entire list as your master list and label it master list or current mm-hmm. accounts. Once you've got that done, set up your account lists as stages, not pipeline stages as lead stages. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you guys an idea or example of what I love to do is I have warm up, activation, and then I'll have pipeline or existing customers. And what it allows me to do is when I'm setting up saved searches, I can use the list based on where they are. And that list will auto-populate as I move different accounts around. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it does it in the background for me. And then with lead lists, what I do is I set it up based on the outreach that I'm doing. So why are they in the list? So if I send a blank request, I throw them in the blank my blank request list. Because it also mm-hmm. tells me how to follow up or if I should follow up. If I do a strategic connection or if I do a passion connection where it's a shared some, a shared interest of ours like psychology, brewing beer, you know, woodworking, then I keep those lists very tight so that I don't lose track of the reason why we started a conversation in the first place. Mm. But the gold, and this is where you should talk to your manager. And if you have a market intel person or competitive intel, usually in product marketing, sometimes it'll be higher up. Go talk to them and get them to help you dial in your saved searches. This is the hardest thing. Most companies don't have an ICP. They have a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. They're basically a startup that's been running for 30 years. Mm-hmm. There's actually no defined parameters of who to serve, and it makes it impossible to do your job, which, quite frankly, they failed you. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't tell them that. They don't usually... Mm-hmm. doesn't usually go make a great conversation, mm-hmm. but go ask them. Like For us to win... More often than not, so more than 50% of the time, what has to be true? Mm-hmm. And if we lose, what has to be true? And start going on those opposites, the wide spectrum, and figure out those things. And as you keep doing this, you'll build different lists. And then that'll allow you to prioritize and nail timing. The other division that you should talk to is your customer success mm-hmm. or even our customer service. Figure out who they love working with. Figure out who are the ones that are returning customers or the power users or the people that saw the value the fastest and figure out what they and put them in a list. And even so, use your sales intelligence software to figure out what filters you could find them by, layer them over each other and figure out what's the same or what are the outliers. This is the best use of your time that nobody does. This ability to play Where's Waldo. In a world where everything looks the same is where you'll stand out as a seller because we have to nail timing. And if so many people are trying to go and nail outreach and they're trying to you know, refine their messaging, the reason why their messaging sucks is because their list is useless. There was no mm. reason for it to exist. It's TAM filters. Mm. But one of the things that was super interesting on that case study I did is that the bottom 50% of sellers and also the the unsuccessful product marketers only use four filters or less. Revenue, headcount, mm-hmm. industry, geography. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's it. That's not a list. Mm-hmm. And the top sellers were using 12 to 24. And they also had context for it. So that the reason the list existed actually was the messaging in itself. Mm-hmm. So like my heart example at the start is, uh, I think it's EKG or like ECG or whatever that term is for like the heart monitoring. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. EKG signals. That would be my mm-hmm. list name. Mm-hmm. 
I don't have to think about it. I know why it's there because I set it up to go and find that. That's my observation. Then I all I do is I say why it matters. And are you interested? Because if they're not, if they don't see the problem, if they're not interested in solving it, anything but after that is spam. Mm-hmm. And I would rather just go and tackle someone else. And like a like a tidal wave, when you build up momentum, you know, figure out do you want to go middle out? Do you want to go bottom up? Bottom up is one of the best ways right now because nobody is talking to people in the trenches. Nobody is acting like a journalist or a detective, building that business cases that go like what we used to do when we had to do pop-ins or we'd set out, I don't, don't want to say how many times I set out in the smoke pit, not smoking, but bringing coffee and donuts and just talking to people outside, getting an understanding of what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. So when I go to leadership, when I go to management, it's all validated. Mm-hmm. So yeah, think about this when you're building your list, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it, it makes your life so much easier. And because people show that you're doing it for the right reasons and you're providing great value, it's never a waste of their time. Word of mouth starts to happen too. And this is why I've actually haven't been posting as much on LinkedIn is because a lot of people are actually asking me great questions and making introductions. And I'm using it to fuel content now because I can do that at, a, at scale versus the one-on-one conversations are harder. Right. That makes sense. So super valuable to have, you know, very filtered, high quality list. I 100% believe in that. Now, now you want to build your content machine, reach out, try to get that engagement conversation going. And obviously from there, trying to get them to some form of a meeting, right? And make this an effective meeting as possible so you can lead to some some kind of proposal, right? So down, build out the funnel. Um, what is your approach, right? For now getting this, you have a filtered list, quality uh, you know, you've set all these high, high, high filter touch points on there. How do I get them to a meeting from there? I just do a personalized connection request. Mm-hmm. I keep it really simple, but then I also have them in a list already. So I'll also start commenting. Mm-hmm. When I'm commenting, I uh, obey vampire sales. I can break that down for you guys. So what I what I do is when I'm commenting, I do the rule of three first. That means that after we go back and forth three times having a conversation, it's a real conversation now in the comments. That opens the door for me to send a connection request. That That's so you know when to connect. Well, vampire sales is knowing when to pitch. Mm. So by folklore, vampires were not allowed into your home unless they were invited. People don't want to hear your pitch unless they ask. Unless there's an observation. Unless there's a, something so dangerous around the corner that their life's in jeopardy. Mm. Other than that, don't pitch. And what I noticed when I actually tracked my CRM data and I actually started tracking, did I tell them what I did before they asked or after? I won less than 5% of the people that I brought it up before they asked. And I won over 80% of the people that did ask. But what was really interesting on this next piece is there's something called the flip that happens. Mm -hmm. And the flip is what most sellers miss because they lack experience or they don't go deep enough into the conversation. And so the flip is when they start, they go from seeing you as a seller or a supplier to seeing you as a consultant and a valuable asset to their team because you have experience that can save them time and money doing this implementation and seeing the value promise. That's where a lot of things are failing right now and why people aren't making decisions mm-hmm. is products do too many things and none of it well. Mm-hmm. And they can't find one person that can go and make it simple enough for them to see that value or even give them a realistic roadmap of how to get there. Mm. 
And so you'll feel this flip where they'll start asking you questions. They'll get really into the weeds with you. And that's usually actually when they'll ask you for a meeting. Mm. And they're usually a validated champion at that point too. So you have somebody that's going to go and go to bat for you in that company. And if they don't in the first 15 minutes, they won't ask at all. Mm. So I call it, that's my stopping point. I know when to stop it. I get, it's about 15 minutes of effort max. And then the other people that came back was all from content, not follow-up. That was another surprise. So keep those people engaged, keep commenting, keep, keep those questions going in the DMs. It'll prioritize your content. And when it's time, they will respect you because you didn't push. Hmm. So when it comes to creating the content itself, so one you, one thing you mentioned, the easier way is to just go into commenting, right? So if I'm a, a sales rep or VP of, of sales or CEO, um, I want to start commenting. I want to start engaging with the people I want to con, con, uh, you know, build relationships with. And then the second part is creating my own content, right? So one, we can do it on, on YouTube, but if I'm a salesperson, I probably don't have time right now to be on YouTube, um, you know, it's probably part of marketing, but I do want to create content, maybe some authority, thought leadership as me as an expertise or consultant in this space. Um, so would you say every salesperson, you know, requires to do that? Like, would you say it's important to start creating content on, on social media platforms? And if so, how do I start that sequence of you know, what, what content should I create? That's such a great question. Mm-hmm. It honestly can be kept really simple. And so, Look at the moments of high emotion in your sales process. Mm. When you're talking to somebody, when they get mad, why? Mm. When they get really excited, why? So what I do is I started starring and writing notes of those high emotional moments. And I use that to fuel content because high emotion goes... It gets attention. It also gets people to act. Mm -hmm. So all you do is just do what you're doing right now and find those moments that people lean in, write it down. And then mm-hmm. go create content later when you have time. Or sometimes too, if it's a recorded meeting, grab that transcript and just rewrite it. Mm-hmm. So you can keep it super simple just doing it that way. The other thing you can do is go to G2 or any third-party review sites. Look at the two, three, four-star reviews and see where your competition is missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Look at your reviews and see where people misunderstood your product or the problem that you solve. Create content around that. And then also before you go and you know, pull the trigger, also go talk to marketing, talk to your manager, and just see what's already exi- what already exists. So you don't have to recreate the wheel and just mm-hmm. hit the ground running. And if you go and take your list and you keep it to like a minimum viable segment, so it's all the same, all these people have the same needs. Now that content, as you're doing all of your outreach, is like air cover. It's supporting you as you're going in, you know, sending troops on the ground. It's supporting you over top and it makes you, you know, significantly more effective. Mm-hmm. And so think of even once you get enough ideas, how could you go and run it for 60 days or 30 days and time it with your outreach that you're doing as well and run it as campaigns at the end of the 30 days, do a review of all of it, reflect mm-hmm. what worked, what didn't. You know, ratchet up, get a little bit better with each round and keep going. Hmm. And just think of yourself like you're owning a franchise. And right. work at that. Like, what's your PL? Where's your time best spent? Mm-hmm. And once you dial that in as a seller, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're in a great spot to do well at any, anytime, anywhere. 
I, I believe it. And, and is this content you're creating, is this like, you know, are you creating articles? Are you just writing a social media post? Or are you, like, what, what do you recommend as the best kind of um, form of content? Short and sweet. Short and Keep sweet. it, yeah. Like, right, even in YouTube, it's funny, a lot of people are talking about like how long form is really becoming a big thing, but it's long form with experts with a lot of great stories to tell. Mm. So to start, those people that are just starting, it's three and a half minutes on YouTube is the best video, but TikTok and sh- shorts are actually better. So think about it. If you were to tell somebody in less than 30 seconds, mm-hmm. that's only like 200 words. Mm-hmm. Start there. And once you, as you keep getting better and better, then you can expand. But, you know, start small, get good, then add something new. And even like short videos, right? Like when we send out videos, part of our sequence, shorter videos just perform better. You can even turn those into content that you've already made it. If especially if it worked and it's not doesn't have private information, yeah, post it. Okay, that makes sense. And so another factor a lot of folks are playing with sales and you know kind of all departments is using you know AI tools such as ChatGPT. What's in your opinion? Kind of we'll just use this as a last. Uh, question before we get into the rapid fire questions but you know if, if i'm trying to create volumes of content i'm, I'm assuming chat you'll use chat gpt as a way to help you with that what do you see as you know how, how do you see ai or chat gpt altering the landscape of social selling and if so do you see this as more of like a positive or negative transformation this is such a hard one it's a great mm-hmm. question but it's a hard mm-hmm. question and the reason being is that only with the last version the 4.0 did it allow you to analyze content? But it takes somewhere between 25 and 50,000 words, your own writing to analyze to understand how you write. Mm. So I don't know if it's a writing tool per se, because it's mm-hmm. not personal. It writes like a product marketer. Yeah. But it's a fantastic way to brainstorm. And so mm-hmm. what you can actually do with ChatGPT, the free one, is ask, hey, could you act as my creative director? And can you help me? You know, these are the main problems that I solve. Take some of your stuff, like some of your emails. Like these are my like best performing emails. These are my best performing posts. Can you act as my creative director and create a 30 day or 60 day marketing campaign for me? Mm. And it will. And then you tell it how many times you want to post and you can keep prompting it with more questions to go deeper. And you can do that with the free resources and just use that to start and then make sure whatever you're posting, just you can get analytics. So you can learn as you go. And I've seen lots of people have really great success with that. Mm. And just, yeah, just keep it simple and then have a, just have it planned out, right? And if you can, schedule stuff in advance so you don't forget or you don't get too busy. Because then you could just do sit down for an hour or two, one day a week and be done the entire week's worth of content. Exactly. Love it. This, this has been great. I appreciate you sharing all this, Nick. It's, uh, I think a lot, of help, a lot of helpful insights for people listening in. So, um, yeah. So would love to shift gears. So I think that that was helpful. And I'd love to learn a bit more you on the more personal side. Um, so we'll get into the rapid fire questions. You know, take your time. They're just quick and, and fast, but you know, take your time in terms of answering it. So you ready to sure. rock and roll on those? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So Nick, um, what's one activity you enjoy outside of work that gets you into flow state? So I know you're in the in the Rocky Mountains. I'm assuming you got some beautiful nature nearby. But outside of work, what else do you like to do? I, lo- I do love going hiking and camping. And mm-hmm. I can't remember what the, the Japanese have a term for it, where it's like uh, forest bathing, where you get out in the forest and it, it detoxes you. As a seller, it's really good to have those different ways of reducing stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I found that really helpful. I also brew beer. You talk mm-hmm. about flow state. 
So yeah. I, I competitively homebrew and I just find it a lot of fun. It was hard. It was a hard thing to, mm-hmm. hard thing to learn, but a lot of fun and woodworking, not that good at it, but I enjoy it. It just get a little better with each, each piece you make, right? Exactly. Beautiful, beautiful answers. Love it. Um, what's, what's one piece of advice uh, you wish you had known? If you can go back to say your 20 year old self, uh, what would you tell that, that 20 year old self? Oh God. So many things. <laughs> uh, own your calendar. Mm-hmm. Take plan each week. Like you had every hour, every minute had to matter. And that after six hours or after eight hours, you were not allowed to do anything else. Mm. You had to be done. And don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Because the people that I saw that had families, that had hobbies, were the ones that were excelling in sales because they had a stopping point. So they had to make their time count where I noticed that when I was younger, I didn't have to leave. So I didn't force myself to get better. I just forced myself to put in more time. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, you got the pressure on. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow? You know, your podcast or your brand. You know, B two B Power Hour. Or what's keeping you up at night these days? So we had a weird shift in our business, and it's partly because of my background. And uh, we have legacy companies that are coming to us to do turnaround work on major lines of business. Mm-hmm. Where their their margin or their pipelines have dropped forty to eighty percent year over year, wow! And to the point where they're either going to divest or they're going to cut headcount significantly if they don't change something in the next quarter or two. So that stresses me out. And the reason why it stresses me out is because knowledge transfer—it's all the stuff we just talked about. It's easy to hear. It's hard to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And sales training is only about 2% effective in knowledge transfer. Hmm. And so I've had to become really creative and I've really dug into adult learning and figuring out how, what are the best ways to get people to see something, to do it, to learn and continuously keep improving. Hmm. That's what keeps me up at night. And honestly, it, it is one of the hardest challenges I've ever dealt with. Because you know, if you're scared, if you don't want to do it, you'll make every excuse not to. And even though, you know, you can't help everyone, I still feel like that's my responsibility. If I got paid to come in there and teach, if you're not good at it, you shouldn't be doing it. Right. right. So I, keeps me up. It also keeps yeah. my Kindle fully stocked. <laughs> yeah. I guess the psychology of it, of it is just probably the human mind and understanding that is probably the, most, the biggest challenge, right? Yeah. And the emotions. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, if you guys all love tech, which I'm, the way you inter- introduce this, there's a new book called uh, Algorithms to Live By. Mm. It is so good. It, t- it talks yeah. about computer science and how to make decisions and how they teach computers to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And it has been incredible for sales. Like communication protocols, how to go and filter and make better lists and how to sort, uh, how to prioritize accounts and keep certain ones that you can focus on so you don't forget anything or you're constantly just spinning your wheel. Oh, it's, it's a good read. It's also a good awesome. storyteller. What was that one called? Algorithms to live by. Algorithms but to live by. Okay, so that kind of goes into our next question, which is, you know, who or what are some of the best three resources that can be books, people, mentors, or people you follow in the space who've been most instrumental to your success over the last few years? So, Rory Sutherland, he's the head of behavioral science at Ogilvy, and he is amazing. 
And what he talks about is the psychology that drives everything, the behavior that drives everything. And it completely changed the way I look at my job. And yeah, it what if you watch some of his, he's also an incredible storyteller. So I could watch his YouTube forever. Mm-hmm. So I don't watch it during the day for that mm-hmm. exact reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably Brent Adamson and like the Challenger series, especially Challenger customer. But it was mm-hmm. mainly that one book that really resonated with me. Okay. Like Daniel Kahneman and like thinking fast and slow, more on the psychology side. Honestly, mm-hmm. the moment that I stopped researching and studying sales books was the moment I started to improve. Mm-hmm. It's not it, the tactics, right? <laughs> well, even like one of the things that I started doing recently, and I'm, I just started within the past two weeks is uh, public speaking. Mm-hmm. What does it take to go in like create a 20 minute TED talk? What does it take to do stand up comedy? What does it take to do uh, improv? Right. And it's really crazy how these skills that as sellers we do every day, but never specifically get taught them. And I, I just never thought about it. I, uh, something to go and keep, keep in the back burner. I'm doing, I'm working with a trial lawyer to learn mm-hmm. how to take a, take a case to court. Cause I want to go and build a bulletproof business case for my enterprise, mm-hmm. large enterprise customers. But I don't know. I've never, never had to do that. So I want to work with mm-hmm. this trial lawyer. And he introduced me to a detective, a criminal detective who's also going to tell me how he does research to work with the public defenders to go to mm-hmm. court. Right. But it's all these other skills, right? But it, it, when you, when you actually have a project to apply it on, it changes everything. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so it's interesting you say that. I mean, yeah. I was going to say the other, the other book was a uh, building a second brain by Tiago Forte. And it talks mm-hmm. about how as, as we're learning and there's different stuff going on, just how to collect it. And mm-hmm. so you can use it later. That was game changer just because okay. I, I was reading a lot, but I was reading and doing nothing with it. And mm-hmm. I read that book and it t- taught me how to go and set up my folders, how to capture information, how to make it useful for later. And guys, if you're writing proposals like mm-hmm. this, really? proposals, oh yeah, because a lot of the stuff is, it's like puzzle pieces that he calls them yeah. artifacts, but I, they're like puzzle pieces. You just place together and you're done. Mm-hmm. And because sense. a lot of the stuff we see the same, same things over and over, right? right. So yeah, highly recommend. Okay. Yeah, something I realized as well too. So something that I found, if you want to become a better speaker, better podcaster, better whatever, I mean, you think you can, I've done, a, I've done courses and, you know, workshops where they, they give you tips on how to, you know, present. Um, but something that I never realized that would help me become a better speaker is actually do singing classes. So I haven't sat on my life and I went to singing and I did like five classes and then I came back and was like, whoa, I found my voice. I know how to communicate more clearly, how to connect another. And it I'm just became and everything. Right. Yeah. I, who would know, right? So who would have thought? That's super interesting. Yeah. I've, I've had somebody even tell me they took acting classes. So they did voice work. Mm. So they got somebody that does like the voiceovers for commercials to teach them how to go mm. and do voice work. And then someone else was doing acting classes, but they were teaching them how to go and what were the recognized facial expressions for different emotions. Exactly. exactly. That's a beautiful skill to know. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, reading people's faces is a... That's what I love doing face-to-face. It's just like you can... Just these micro gestures, how they move, how they... How they how they act, what they what they're looking about, how they're thinking, what their eye goes. Yeah, yeah. makes oh, you. I miss <laughs> I miss being in the boardroom because you'd like you could see the like the subtle nuances of like you'd ask a question, you could test people throughout your like your presentation because you'd want to see who mm-hmm. asks who for information, who looks for you know permission to go and 
give information, all those little dynamics around the table. Mm-hmm. And we just mm-hmm. don't get that on Zoom or any digital no, portal. Not at all. Yeah, yeah I, I miss that as well. Um, cool, cool. Nick, what does uh, success mean to you today? Whether personally, business, financially, life, there's no right answer. I mean, how do you, how do you look at it today? Story I don't tell very often is uh, I wore my burnout as a badge of honor and almost died. It actually landed me in the hospital for 30 days. The first three days, I didn't know if my body was going to recover or if I was going to die. And then I spent the next three weeks wondering if I'd ever leave the hospital because the medicine they used to go and heal my body killed my liver. And so they were worried that I was hospital bound for life, all because I didn't take care of myself, all because I wore my burnout as a badge of honor. Like, I don't need to take breaks. I can go and work, you know, as many hours I want. I can sleep in the office. Like, I, you guys are weak because you're not doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, success to me is just being smart with my time and having a life outside of work. Mm. If I can't earn a living in 40 hours or less, I'm doing something wrong or I'm in the wrong place. And mm. I wish, wish someone would have told me that five, 10 years ago would have saved my life. Fortunately, that was the, well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that, Nick. That's a, that's, that's a great story. And I mean, it just became the norm, right? I guess that's the norm in a lot of cultures is that working is the working more hours is, is the right thing to do. Right. And you are applauded or appreciated or respected, I guess, if you are that person. So good to be able even to like, see and step back and say, it's not, we work, we should be working to live, not live to work. Right. Well, it's even like follow up. Like how many times did you follow up with someone for months instead of just shifting gears and finding somebody else that wants to talk to you? Yeah. Like (laughs) it's one of my biggest filters is willingness Mm -hmm. to engage. They're not willing to engage. Move on. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. Little things you learn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's experience. And this is why we share with others to, to not, to not make the same mistakes we do. So, so Nick, this this has been great. If uh, anybody listening in, founders, marketers, sales folks, Want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, um, or learn more about you, where, where's the best place to go or, or reach you? Just b2bpowerhour.com. Uh, it's got a searchable library of different skills. And if you don't find something, you win a prize. I'll give you a free session to go and provide that information. And I would love to hear your questions. That's what drives the whole thing. So if there's something missing, something that would really help you be better or be a better seller or be a better founder, Shoot me an email, go through the the contact me page and let me know and I'll create a resource for you. And I really appreciate that effort because it allows us to go and help others like yourself. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you, Nick, for for joining. And I hope we can can connect again here. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I always (laughs) enjoy talking to my fellow Canadians. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.